Casey just prayed something I want us to lean into together for a moment. She prayed that the, the space between heaven and earth would be thin. And the reality is, friends, that's exactly, that is, that is the heart of the Father. That is the heart of our God, that that would always be so. And yet, as soon as she said the words, I was like, oof. You know, because where's that space between heaven and earth? So I know we've prayed multiple times for different reasons, but I just want us to take a moment and for, for each of us to consider where, where we are. Like, what have we put between ourselves and God that would make that space not quite so as thin as he desires it to be? So would you take a moment with me and then I'll... I'll pray as we begin. Lord, we are... Uh, fragile, fallible people. And I thank you that you do not expect perfection from us. You have brought perfection to us. Lord, forgive us for creating a barrier where we have tried to construct perfection. We, we hold within our hands a book of history of people who attempted to create perfection, and yet it was never enough. So, Lord, would we invite, hmm, would we recognize the presence of your Holy Spirit right now? And that place between heaven and earth would be so very thin that your word would speak loudly to our heart. That your presence would be overwhelmingly felt by your peace, by your promise. That in this moment, the, the, uh, what we have been fighting for to create some sort of equilibrium in our lives, Lord, you would write, you would make it the way it should be, and you would put things in proper place in our hearts and our minds and our schedules within every just aspect of our life that is constantly going and going, Lord, that you would make things right right now, everything in its place, you as Lord Everything else beneath that. Everything and everyone beneath that. We welcome your presence in our lives. Not in, not in the room, but in our very heart and in our very soul. We welcome you now. We open the door for you to minister And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, uh, 
Many of you know me well. You know I like to start with a question sometimes. And so here's the question. Um, And I don't know if you have. I I don't know if I ever really did what I'm about to ask you, like, exactly but I've wondered it. And the question is, have you ever pondered the, the very roots of Christmas? Like, where did Christmas start? And I'm not talking about, you know, did we adopt a, a former pagan holiday and throw Christianity on it? Because that's what a lot of the things on the calendar look like, you know, with Easter and Christmas and different stuff. That's not what I mean. But like, where is what we know Christmas to be, right? The birth of a Savior. Where did it, where was the beginning where did that actually start? Did it start with like, you know, the, the, the manger scene, right? And what is it, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, right? It, is that where it started? And then like the, the shepherds and the, the animals, and is that where, is that the Christmas like moment? Or did it start just a little bit further back when the, when the angel appeared to the shepherds? And, and said to them, like, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And they're shivering in their boots, I'm sure. And, and, but unto you is born a, a, a savior. Was that the, the moment of Christmas? Or can we go back a little bit further? Um, Angel Gabriel visited Mary and told Mary, you are going to conceive a son. Don't be afraid <laughs> that he will be, you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He'll reign over Israel, not just for a little while, but forever. It, his, his kingdom will have no end. Is, was that the beginning of Christmas as we know it, right? The, how it came onto the scene that we celebrate or do we go back a little bit further to the prophet Isaiah? Inspired by God, he wrote these words in the ninth chapter. He said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Was that declaration through the prophet Isaiah, when, when Christmas, as we know it, began? Or do we go back a little bit further? To Moses, go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Go back to chapter 18, when, when he said another prophet would be coming. Another prophet after Moses would be coming. Another one would be sent. Another one would be that they must listen to, they must follow, and they must obey. Was that when, like, the hints of Christmas were were given? Or do you go all the way back to the very first book in your Bible? In Genesis, first few chapters, man and woman are created. They're placed in dominion over the earth. They are in fellowship with God. They they have this intimacy with him like no other. And we read about that in those first two chapters. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and everything changes. Everything changes. It all, it caves in. There is a rebellion that occurs. Adam and Eve together rebel against their creator, against God. They disobey him and they knew it because they hid from him. 
They ran and hid. And now his children are alienated from him. Fellowship is broken with him. They've rebelled against him. And so God sends them out of the garden, out of his presence, because he is holy, and they've broken that relationship. How can that relationship be restored and redeemed? Well, keep reading. In, if you look in Genesis 3, verse 15, God makes a promise, and he makes a promise... Satan, interestingly. And he says this from the New King James. I love the, the wording. He says, I will put enmity. That's struggle. That's conflict. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He speaks to the enemy, Satan. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is referred to as the proto-evangelium. There's your $2 word for the day. Proto-evangelium, it means the first gospel. This is the very first messianic prophecy in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God declares that the future enmity, that, that hostility, that struggle between the offspring of, of woman, humanity, right? That's what he means. That the offspring of Adam and Eve and the serpent, there will be hostility. There will be a struggle. And God says, in effect, this isn't just a battle, Satan. This is a war. This is a war. And you're going to be the ultimate loser. You're going to be the ultimate loser because... A human, a man, will be born who, yes, will receive a temporary wound. That bruising of the heel is, as we read in there. But he will ultimately crush your head. He will crush, crush the, your temporary dominion that you think you have. So the opening question was, where did, where did Christmas start? Where did it begin? And I would propose to you that this moment, all the way back in the first book of the Bible... In the third chapter, 15th verse, the proto-evangelium, the very first messianic prophecy, the very first mention of the hope for humanity is this is the moment. This is the origin of Christmas. God's promise to restore what was broken. And see, now this, this question, it's not about just tracing a, a, a historical timeline. It's about understanding something. It's about understanding this profound narrative that's woven throughout history as you and I know it. It's about, it's about seeing how God, his grand design unfolds and unfolds. And it leads to this pivotal moment on that night in Bethlehem. So it's more than a seasonal story. Right? This is a cosmic event, Christmas. It's a story of love. It's, it's a story of promise. It's a plan set in motion from the very foundations of the world. It, it's, it's part of this. It's divine narrative that changes everything for us. So where did Christmas begin? Right here at the beginning. And God makes a promise. And so I want us to look together this morning 
at a couple of the profound ways that God keeps his promise and carries this out and leads us to what we know as Christmas. From the exit, from the garden, in Genesis, humanity multiplies, right? This is what they do. But they don't just multiply as, as, as a people, you know, numerically, but what continues to multiply in them is a sense of, is a, is a self, is a sin, it's a motivation to, to please self and look after self, that that also multiplies. And it gets to the point where the, the world is so depraved that God actually sends a flood. And it is so massive that only eight people survive. Eight. Eight. I don't know how many of you are into statistics, but the promise that God made to, to defeat Satan now, that, those numbers go down significantly because now there's only eight options for that promise to continue through. Noah. He has three sons, and one of them is named Shem. And one of the descendants of Shem, we read in Genesis 12, is Abraham. And God promises that through Abraham, his seed, his descendants, through him, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. So God's continuing his promise. I'm going to continue this. God's keeping this promise. So the promise goes from Adam through Noah, through Shem, to Abraham. In Genesis 26, that promise is repeated to Abraham's son, Isaac. And in Genesis 28, that promise is repeated to Isaac's son, Jacob. All the way through Genesis to the very end of the book, to chapter 49, the promise goes to Jacob's son, Judah, where the tribe of Judah begins. So we're seeing this lineage of the promise, this, this promise that God made. From, for the promise of the seed to crush Satan. In the book of 2 Samuel, we find a young man of that tribe of Judah by the name of David. And God promises to him, his descendant will sit on the throne forever. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, it says, And your house, this is God speaking to David, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. God's continuing his promise. You, you see it here. This is, Christmas is about God's promise. Then you get into the New Testament and you read Matthew's account, his record. And he says this, the very opening verses of Matthew chapter 1. And he lays out this, this continuation of God's promise. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. He's following the same track of the promise. You go down to verse 16, and he says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So the promise is made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God's promise to restore what was broken, to restore right relationship with humanity, and the promise to defeat the enemy. And so Jesus Christ is sent from God as God, is born as a human, as a fulfillment 
of that promise to defeat the enemy, to defeat death, to restore God's perfect creation. At the right time, the right person was sent for the right reason, and that was to fulfill God's promise. Now, in the book of Galatians, which has been kind of our home base the last few weeks, in Galatians 3, Paul lays out pretty clearly how God's promise is fulfilled. He says this in verse 14 of Galatians 3. He says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the what? What does that say? That's right. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God's continuing. He's fulfilling his promise. There it is. So we might receive the promise, you and me. Receiving the fulfillment of the promise God made all the way back in Genesis. See, what was lost in Adam and Eve's, in their sin, right? Fellowship with God, that's what was lost. It's regained in Christ. Because we know he dies the sinner's death. We know that he rose to conquer that death. Which brings us back to Galatians 4. Verses 4 and 5, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So we might become his children again. The right time, the right person, for the right reason. To fulfill God's promise to restore us. I ask the question, where did Christmas begin? It, it goes so much further back to this promise. This is a promise from God. That's why I was so um, moved when you prayed that, Casey, about that veil being so thin, because this is a fulfillment. God wants that, that to be thin. He wants heaven and earth to be so thin. He wants us to be in relationship with him. That's Christmas. My prayer the last few weeks has been that we would discover or from some of us rediscover the depth. There's depth of the heart of Christmas. Right? It's not just a, a, a celebration marked by just the babe in the manger and the guiding star. It's not. Christmas at its very core is about the restoration of what was lost in Eden. Think about that for a moment. It's about God's promise. It's about him. It's about it being intricately woven through the tapestry of human history. God's promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So from Genesis, through the, the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all the way to that blessed night in Bethlehem, God's promise is this beacon of hope calling out 
this beacon of hope. It's this divine assurance that he would mend what was broken. And in the fullness of time, God did just that. He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, us, under the law, that we might receive adoption. We might be his children. And so this, porch community, this is the true essence of Christmas. It's about, it's about God reaching into our world, into our brokenness, to bring us back into his family. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, we recognize it's not merely as the fulfillment of a promise, but it is this profound invitation into an eternal relationship with you. So we acknowledge, Lord, that what was lost through sin and disobedience. We acknowledge that you have mercifully restored that in Christ Jesus. We acknowledge that he bore our sins. We acknowledge that he triumphed over death. We acknowledge that through him we are transformed into your beloved children, heirs to your eternal kingdom. And so in this season, my prayer for the people of the porch is that we would embrace the immeasurable depth of your love for us. Immeasurable depth. That we certainly remember that Christmas is far more than a historical event. It's a personal call to each of us. It's a divine invitation to be a part of this grand story of redemption. We would find a place in this lineage of faith that our names are included in the names of those that have gone before us, that we would live out our days as your children. Father, it is through Jesus we see the fulfillment of your promise. And it's in him that we discover our identity and our purpose. So Lord, may this truth resonate in our hearts, not just today, but every single day. Not just this season, but every season. Not just this month of December, but every month of the year, every day of the year, every hour of every day. Lord, I thank you that you fulfill your promise. And I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be leaning toward that understanding, leaning towards that, grasping that one who is so great, the one who has created it all of everything that is seen and heard and known and all that is unseen and undiscovered, you, God, want to be in relationship with us. And you've given us Jesus. 
therefore, you are worthy of all of our praise, all of our thanksgiving. Would you receive that now as an act, as a, as a response to this reality? You love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.